Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, October 20th, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book. We are on page 57, the fourth paragraph down that begins for an hour, The Two Friends. Today's readers are Esther F. on the 12 Steps, Jane G. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Yolanda F., Maureen M., and Janice B. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, October 19th, is 9187. And our newcomer greeter today is Deanna B., OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. And Jane G., would you please read our 12 traditions? 
Thank you, Kathy. Good morning. This is Jane G., a compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, and COA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Jane G. Our sole purpose. Oh, I'm sorry, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 157, the fourth paragraph down, which begins, For an hour the two friends told him. Uh, we will read two paragraphs, and I'm going to ask um, Yolanda F. to get us started. Good morning, everyone. I'm Yolanda F., a compulsive overeater. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me. I drink like that. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered. 
how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state between the preceding the first drink. So uh, I just want to touch on, there's so much in this little paragraph, but I just want to touch on how it deteriorates the body and warps his mind. Um, I remember laying on my bed one day and um, after a binge, and I was I had thoughts of a suicide, and um, my life was good. I didn't even know it was good because I was so in, into the food. But that's just a quick example of how this disease warps the mind, and. Um, but, it's, but I want to talk about the last sentence because when I read it, it reminds me of my last binge. There was much talk about the, the mental state preceding the first drink. And um, I had been in recovery, and um, I was recovered, and I was doing well. Um, had a really, working a really good program, and... Um, I guess I hadn't gotten it yet. That step one that was um, took me a long time to get that one. But anyway, um, it's giving, and I was at a friend's house, and for some reason, that the mental state, I was doing good. I was feeling good. I was abstinent. But something in my mind told me that it would be okay for today to have just a little bit of stuff in, just a few extra hors d'oeuvres. Something in my mind told me that it would be okay. And um, I can't, to this day, know why my mind told me that. And even more, I can't to this day, understand why I just went and did it. But um, preceding that particular example, that had happened to me many times, many times. And sometimes it was because I had it in my system, because once I put the sugar or flour in my system, all bets are off. And sometimes it was because my mind wasn't right. Um, so needless to say, just those little um, extra hors d'oeuvres and uh, a little bit of stuffing, and I w- was off to a horrible binge. And for me, you know, I guess you guys all know, it means um, one convenience store after another, just eating a whole bunch of stuff and being sick and miserable. I mean, I took myself right back to where I was, right back. For some reason, this mental state, my mind forgets. I don't even remember what happened. Um, last, a few months ago, a year ago, even even a, a few days ago. Because once I start with that, the next day, okay, I'm back. On, I'm going to get back on track, and then by breakfast, just like this story describes, <laughs> it's all better off again. So. Um, there is um, there's so much to be 
said about this mental state preceding the first drink. Um, but I do want to end with this, that thank God today I know what happens and I know what that mental state, I have an idea of what it's like, and I have so many things in place to help me and to keep me from going back there. And even with all the things I have in place, I still have to be diligent. I still have to be in touch with all of you all of the time. And I have to do everything that I, I have to do everything that I do every day because this mental thing can come up at any time for me if if I'm not really, really diligent in working um this program of recovery. Like my life depends on it. Thank you. Thank you, Yolanda F. Who would like to share Chris. a second part? Melissa C. Reba P. Okay. Um, I missed a few at the beginning. Here's who I have. Melissa C., Reva P., and Tina S. Who else? Uh, Julie R. Julie R. Who else? Kim G. Kim G. Chrissy. And one more. Chrissy? Chrissy. Chrissy, what's your last initial? G. Okay, let's stop there for now. So I have Melissa C., Reva P., Tina S., Julie R., Kim G., and Chrissy G. Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning, Kathy J. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I've had people sit me down and tell me the physical effects what the food was doing to me. You know, I had that lecture a lot, um, that it was destroying my body. You know, doctors had sat me down. Um, My parents, my husband said something to me at one time, my mother-in-law. You know, it was no, it's like no mystery um, that being morbidly obese, you're destroying your body, you're ravaging your body. And yet, from everybody else, as much love was behind those words, it was simply brought the emotional appeal. You know, it didn't it didn't do anything. It was ineffective. It just, um, if anything, just made me want to eat more because I felt so bad. Um, you know, and so the direction what's different here is first, you know, it's this is a message of death and weight because, um, you know. It's two people who are recovered, who've done, you know, what what I've done, who've been where I've been. Um, and so when they talk about it, um, it, it has a different, it's different. You know, when people um, in OA were able to talk to me, um, I could hear it differently. But, you know, the piece for me that was missing for so long was that last part about the, um, and that's the mental twist, you know that the the thinking that precedes that first bite, somehow I kind of missed that. I thought, stay away from your food. Just stay abstinent. Just stay abstinent. Don't pick up. Don't pick up. Don't pick up. But I didn't know how how not to pick up, you know, because um, just like the person that spoke right before, um, I, I picked up, out, you know, 
five years of abstinence. I had just abstinence. I didn't have recovery, but I knew enough to stay away from the food. And yet I got this bright idea on my honeymoon. And, you know, and then 20 years later, I was still binging. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And so it, it's so critical that we hear um, that piece. Because that tells us, at least for me, that told me I needed to change. I needed to change everything and not just my food. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Reva P., please go ahead. Good morning. It's Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. This paragraph speaks to me about the twofold nature of my illness, and I knew that there were foods that I just, once I picked up one, you know, a thousand was uh, not enough and I just couldn't stop. I had a sense of that. Um, But I never, ever um, knew until I came into this program about the mental obsession or that mental twist because it was so illogical to me. Um, It defied all, you know, intellect that when I knew better, Um, I still had that insane thought that I need this, I want this, I must have it. And I've heard it said, you know, that obsession is like it drives out all other reasonable sane thoughts. It just dominated my whole brain and I couldn't stop it. And I also didn't understand that I can't do an arm wrestle with my mind against the sick mind thought. Like I never would win. Um, The sick disease thought always won out. Um, So I love this. You know, before they had the chapter on more about alcoholism, they did have a sense about that mental obsession, the mental state preceding the first drink. And I am amazed this has been a challenging week because um, I'm having some physical, well, I'm having a lot of physical pain. Um, and it's only when I do the work of 10, 11, and 12 after having gone through you know, the first nine steps that I can uncover the unhealthy, destructive, old beliefs that would drive me back. Um, and I am amazed that it's limitless. You know, it says if I fail to enlarge my spiritual life, um, then I'm doomed because I cannot match that powerful mental twist. I need a power that's way bigger than me um, to do that. And the only way to access it is through these steps. Um, so thank you, God, that these guys understood, tried it out on this third prospect and found a method that worked because just focusing on the physical never worked. It kept me in that downward spiral. So I need to address the mind part um, that will drive me back. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Tina S., please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy, uh, for your service. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. And I could really relate to the, all three who shared prior to me. And, um, you know, I, I too, uh, was sitting with somebody who I was shaking my head when they talked about how it, the food affected me physically and also mentally. I knew that I had something going on in my mind that was driving me crazy. And, you know, I was really hoping that I was crazy. So at least it would be a solution because my solution on my own was that I could outthink this thing. You know, I am pretty, 
intellectual here. I'm pretty, pretty darn smart, you know, and, and that was my downfall, but that was my saving grace too, because my experience is that I got to a place where I could not think. And so therefore, you know, I was grasping for something and, uh, and I love what was talked about it. And for me too, you know, the solution is on page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that lack of power is my dilemma. And, and that's exactly it. Lack of power is my dilemma and that I must find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. Doesn't say will help me, will help you to help me. It says which will solve my problem, and that's exactly what this book is about. And you know, so therefore, you know, I continue one day at a time to to do this thing. You know, so, and I continue to get it. And uh, and what and that's the good news. One day at a time. If I keep showing up, um, I keep getting the result. And so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Julie R. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And, you know, the, that small paragraph says so much, acute poisoning. And it's like, you know, when you look in the dictionary, acute is severe, critical, drastic, dire, dreadful, terrible, awful, grave, bad, serious. I mean, that's how you could uh, look at my life when I was either um, acting out with the food or the, my mind because, if food was my only problem, I could have written diet books. I've read so many and I've been on so many diets. But that is just, you know, it's the half of the disease. And and no matter how many days abstinence, years abstinence I have, if I don't keep close to my creator, that mental twist is going to come back. And it, for me, it'll come back very fast. I mean, I, I have... Um, proof of that, uh, enough proof that I, but that won't matter because I forget, I will forget and I will pick up. It's not, it's just a matter of time. So it, it, it's like, what, what, what's that mental state before that first bite? Uh, sometimes it's, I'm walking by something and I would just grab it and put it in my mouth. That's what I would try to tell myself. But it was way more than that. It was my separation from my creator. Each time that I don't pray throughout the day, each time that I don't wake up and, and do a thankful prayer, each day I don't light my sage, whatever it is, I get separated from God. And that means the food is getting closer. Because I don't have any defense against that when my mind is, is devoid of my creator. So when I look at that paragraph again, it's... It's so key. It's there was so much talk about the mental state preceding that first drink. So now the only defense I have from that first drink, first bite, first inappropriate act is my relationship with God. So and with that I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Julie R. Kim G, please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jay, a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. There was much talk, much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. So as I listen to this, you know, and I hear these beautiful shares, you know, is this what I'm hearing in my meetings? No, not normally. Is this, what I'm, is this what I'm stressing to my sponsees? I mean, my experience in Overeaters Anonymous was for many years was it was all about the food. It was all about the food allergy. And I was told the solution was basically willpower and keeping on guard. You know, unfortunately, and this is on me, not on OA, but on me, 
What I did is I took a bunch of sayings and made that a program of recovery, which failed utterly. You know, I'm going to look out for halt. I'm going to look out for when I'm too hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I'm going to avoid people, places, and things. I'm going to avoid my triggers. I'm going to get up each morning. I'm going to decide not to eat. And that is, that is absolutely doable if you're the moderate or the heavy eater. But let me tell you what my mind does. I always think about it. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm living in my parents' house. All day at work, I am restless. I am irritable. I am discontent. I feel like the world's against me, and I cannot even fit in my own skin. And what's getting me through the day is I know on my way home I can get some icing. And I go to that grocery store, and I put icing in my cart and, and a cake mix, even though I have no intention of making the cake. And even as I'm in line, I can feel my shoulders starting to relax because I know it's there. But when I get to that register, I'm throwing M&Ms in there because I don't think I can make the couple-minute drive from my parents' house to the house. I haven't eaten anything. That's that mental state, that impending calamity. And let me tell you, it doesn't even have to be that severe. That mental state will tell me, oh, come on, Ken. You've been at goal weight. You just need to get the edge off. It really wasn't that bad. It was only 300 calories. It's only going to be two slices. It can be as simple as, eh, and that's enough of that mental state to make me eat. Because you see, food is not my real problem. What I describe now is that food is my solution. My problem is, is that cru- the crux of my problem is in my mind, that inability to get comfortable, and that well preceded my binging. So let me tell you, step one is not telling you not to eat. If you go through these chapters, step one is telling me, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, unless I have a spiritual solution. So that's why there was so much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink, because I am without defense against that first drink. And my personal, I wish, I wish in Overeaters Anonymous, when someone identifies themselves, all we do is count the number of days, and we announce that with such pride. And that's just addressing the allergy. I would love it if in meetings people said, my name is Kim, and I just did my fifth step. My name is Kim, and I just made my first amends. My name is Kim, and I just took on my first employee. Because it's only the steps that will address the mental state which precedes the first drink. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Chrissy G., it's your turn. Hi, it's Chrissy G., recovered in New Jersey. And I I was talking about the mental twists with someone yesterday, with two people, actually, who were trying to get off the food yesterday that were having a hard time. Uh, getting abstinent and wanting to work, wanting to work the steps. And I, I, I don't, I don't go to face-to-face meetings at this point because I, I go to face-to-face meetings for another fellowship, and I do the morning meetings. That's my routine for now. I'm trying to get a new face-to-face meeting started in my area, God willing. But so when I'm talking to people, a lot of the people that I'm talking to, a lot of the times, are abstinent and looking looking to work the steps. I, I speak to the people that I speak to that are struggling with a physical allergy um, usually call me once and then don't call me back a lot of times, you know. Um, so the people that stick around are usually the ones that get the fact that they need to put the food down before they start working the program. That that's just has been my has been my experience. And and so those people who who I get to talk to, which is so helpful for me that 
aren't able, feel like they're not able to put their food down because the physical allergies just got them beat. I, I was talking yesterday from my own experience, and I don't know if anybody could relate to this. The physical allergy combined with the mental obsession is, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible, impossible to talk myself out of responding to the urge to pick up when I have that combination. So when, I'm, when I wean off with the help of God and fellow um, OAs, that is when, when, I, when I detox, clean my system of the, the physical allergy, I still have the mental obsession. And for me, it's strong. It's fast and furious. For me, it comes on fast and furious, that urge, and, and there's things that I could do to relieve that, that, that urge and let it pass. I, knowing that it's going to pass, talking to people who have been through having urges and letting them, and letting them pass, they decrease. As long as I'm working the program and taking the action, they're going to decrease the, the mental obsession is going to decrease power day by day, step by step, if I'm working the program. So it all has to happen very simultaneously. But the, the, the physical allergy, I'm just telling those who, don't, who have never experienced the loss of the physical cravings because they haven't ever been out of a, a, a relapse cycle, you know, for more than three days, a week or two, it, it is not as powerful the mental obsession when we work these steps and as time passes, it gets easier. If it didn't, we wouldn't be here to, to, to talk about it, to hear to say that it does because you, we could, you know, as addicts, we think that we have the worst, our disease is worse than anybody else's, our pain of craving is worse than anyone else's. Well, I want to tell you, we've all been there. We've all been at the point where we would, we would, step over our children's bloody bodies to get food. You know, I mean, I, I know that sounds traumatic, but it's like, you know, we've all been there if you're a true addict, and I know I am. So that's all I have, and I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Barbara B. R. Anna K. Nessa R. Anna K. Lynn Anna K. Anna K. Lynn S. Okay. Um, who is that? Carol G. Carol G. Here's who I have. Barbara D. Nessa R. Anna K. Lynn S. And um, Carol G. Anybody else? Okay, Barbara D., please go ahead. Okay, thank you. This is Barbara B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. I had to spend a lot of time with the mental state, my mental state in general, not just preceding the first bite, but I really resisted that word sanity, and I resisted calling myself insane, because if I needed to be, you know, have a power greater than myself, restore me to sanity... I mean, I didn't want to get that serious about my mental state and say I was crazy. I had to, as <clears throat> this person listened to them, and he, and he said, I drink like that. You know, there was that identification. I had to hear over and over again stories of people who were acting 
insanely so that I could say, yes, there I am, that's me. Isn't it insane to think that eating over a situation, say if my husband didn't want to go to the movies, that eating would make him want to go to the movies? I mean, you know, it is just crazy. And and I needed to go over and over again through inventories looking at the samples of insanity so that I could see truly that my mental state in general was a serious condition. It wasn't just something to be taken lightly or uh, modified by behavior and courses and therapy. It was true insanity. And the only solution, since nothing else would do it, was what people were saying because they were no longer acting in insane ways and living with insane thinking was the 12 steps in the spiritual experience. So the identification with the, quote, binging insanely, as in their case, the drinking experiences, and then the identification with being restored to sane thinking was what I really needed to listen to and hear and take to myself. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara B. Nessa R., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto. So um, abstinence takes care of the allergy of the body. And working the steps take care of the uh, obsession of the mind because um, it unblocks us from God. And so we have a spiritual solution accessible to us. But what happens in the interim between putting down the food and steps 10, 11, and 12 when we actually have access to that higher power? Because the food has been a substitute for that higher power solution in our life, which we are not going to get to until we work the steps. And so, you know, I have a few sponsees caught in that, in that cycle. They, they get abstinent, they want to work the steps, but the, the obsession of the mind keeps pushing them to the food, and they're not yet recovered. Of course, they have no access to God, uh, because, you know, when you're just starting the steps, you're totally blocked from God still, even though the food is down. So what do you do then? You know, you can only work the, the steps so fast. I mean, two months is the fastest I've been able to get anybody through the steps. I guess some people can do it in a week if they have, you know, if they dedicate 100% of their time to it. But what, what happens in the interim? Um, and, you know, we, we talk a lot about the tools. And unfortunately, the tools have come in some meetings or in a lot of meetings to replace the actual 12-step program of recovery. Um, but the tools become very useful in this period of time. You know, what I tell my sponsors is put down the food and immerse yourself in program. Listen to a lot of meetings. And now, you know, with the phone and the recordings and all that, you don't really have to go out of your way to go to a meeting. You can just have them at, the, at your fingertips practically. You can stream from the computer or anything. You know, talk to people. Read the literature because, you know, you got to have your head full of um, program talk, full of uh, messages of that experience, strength, and hope so that you know that it is possible, so that you know that you need to resist um, those, those thoughts that are so convincing, those rationalizations as to why it would be okay to have just a little bit or why it's possible to have just a slice or just two pieces or whatever it is. Um, 
it's in that in the gap of time between putting down the food and uh, working the steps towards recovery that we need something um, to hold on to. And this is where I find the tools, um, you know, very, very helpful. I see some people who latch on to the tools until, you know, as long as they can work the steps and they come out the other end. But, you know, when there's nothing, uh, the food becomes extremely attractive and the argument's extremely powerful. And it's very hard to get out of that cycle, but I found that, that, that this, this worked for me and this has worked for some of my sponsors as well um, if, um, if they have the persistence to, um, to stick with it. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Anna Kay, please go ahead. Um, this is Anna. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Hi. Thank you for everything. I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. I would say what attracted me always, and I stepped in the room 31 years ago, and what attracted me that first night was identifying with the stories of the people in the room, seeing their recovery. I know the hearing God freaked me out a bit, but uh, when I heard peace and, and some of the promises, I was there. Um, I walked in there really desperate. But in all these years, most of the time I was not in recovery. And again, in, in vision, hearing the recovery, hearing how everyone stays recovered and learning about it and the purity of the big book has, has kept me here. And the, the mental twist is so amazing. The other day, maybe it was about a week or two ago, I had a nightmare, not of myself actively eating of something that has been, you know, is ipsy-pipsy on my bad list, but having had eaten it. And, I, and I'm in my dream, I'm thinking, oh, my, the horror of having eaten the whole bag of this item just blew my mind. It was so real. And it can come up, that feeling, that horror, that even have done it, comes up anytime. And I'm so grateful I'm in the program. Just never know where our mind can go. And that was just a past feeling of having eaten it in a dream. Wow, it's strong. <laughs> I know that I am a compulsive overeater. And it's got me. It's got me for my whole life. And I'm so grateful to this program. Thank you for letting me share my past. Thank you, Anna Kay. Lynn S., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. This paragraph is really touching me, especially how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. And I was just thinking, after a meeting last night, talking to a sponsee and just thinking, isn't this the crux of the whole thing? Isn't this it? And it's not the same as when, as before program, when I would sit with my eating buddies and we would discuss in the donut store or in the restaurant as we're indulging in a binge together, you know, how crazy this is and, you know, I just have to eat and I can't stop eating and stuff. It's not, it's not the same um, when I'm talking about this with a sponsee, because now, of course, now I know that the hope, I know what the answer to this, the problem is, and that answer will come up in the next couple of paragraphs. But what also strikes me so much is doing all these step 10 work. I see the, 
the warping of my mind and all those lies that I tell myself and all those things, all those old thoughts and beliefs that I have to let go of that allow me to remove, just God to remove what's blocking me from him so I can be closer. But it just, it just strikes me so much like we're getting to the nugget of it yet again. This is the message. This is the message that our meetings need to carry to people. This is the message that we need to reinforce over and over and over again with people. This is why we're different. There is a solution to the problem. I love what we say, food was the answer, but it wasn't the solution. It just strikes me. It's just such a remember when to be thrown back into those old discussions with people. And sometimes you see it in the meetings, too, and I often see people, and they're delighting in their binge revelry. And they're delighting in all that, that talking about the thinking that leads up to the binge. And they're not talking so much about their anger and their resentment, but they're talking about how the food calls them. And their eyes light up. And I wish they would light up that way when about the recovery about the way to recover from this disease. It just reminds me so much, this is what, this is the message we're to carry. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lynn S. Carol G., please go ahead. Press star one, Carol, to unmute. Oh, I'm so sorry, Kathy. It's Carol G. <laughs> Convulsive Eater Recovered. Thank you so much. I always have trouble with the muting. Hi, everybody. I was just thinking about the mental twist. How hideous is that? What a thought. Um, I was asked many, many times in OA to go over what happened. It was like if I wrote it out enough, I would create some kind of force field to protect me, but I didn't realize that it, I was going to need protection from the inside. I can't describe the mental twist any other way than mind control. Um, something would possess me. I'd get this odd, eerie feeling just wash over me. And in that moment, I'd, I'd reach out for something and hold on tight because I knew that I was trying to resist its commands, but on my own power, I just couldn't do it. Nothing. I couldn't do anything to help myself on my own power. And it's like this. Um, if you put your hand right in front of your face, what can you see? Your hand. And that's my mental twist. There's nothing else other than the food. Suddenly, one thought in my mind, it's immediate and it's now. And I can tell you, putting my hand on my heart, that if the twist happens to me ever again, I will see nothing. I won't see you. I won't see the phone. I won't see the big book. I'll just see neon flashing lights of food and I will be off seeking that food. And if my poor body has to try to digest my allergic foods, I'll die. Fear isn't keeping me sober. It used to, but not today. Something else is keeping me sober. What a blessing. And we're all worthy of this blessing. And all that it asks of me is that I do the work contained in this book. I mean, these two drunks are amazing. They found a way to treat alcoholism. It's awesome. I mean, soon... On page 186 in uh, Alcoholic Number 3's story, they're going to ask him questions. Do you want to quit? Of course we want to quit. But can you do it on your own accord? And do you believe in some kind of higher power? Anything. And are you willing to go to this higher power without reservation? Every single day, 
I go to my higher power without reservation because I know where the power comes from now. I don't want anything to short circuit me ever again. I need you. I need all of you. And I need the grace of the higher power. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vision, for your Napa. Thank you, Carol G. Uh, we have time for one or two more shares before we move on to the next paragraph. Virginia. This is Larry. Leia. Larry. Leia. Thank you. Okay, Virginia, please go ahead and can you give me your last? Yes, Virginia C. Um, so I guess for me the, the biggest thing about the mental twist is how Virginia, wait one minute. One minute. Not a noise. Could everybody make sure you're muted by pressing star one? I hear some banging. Yeah, you know what? That's actually me. Uh, oh, okay. Background noise. It's me. I'm, I'm walking in Manhattan. The okay. trash truck. <laughs> I just Go ahead. Um, so, you know, the mental twist can be, it's so... It can be so small, like such a small thing. Like it doesn't have to be this huge thing, um, and it can help. It can make us distort even things from the big book and things in programs um, to suit our needs. And you know, I was I experienced. I was at the apple orchard picking apples with my family, and you know. Like, you know, they're all eating the apples, like, as for picking. And, and I was like, I should be able to, to do this, right? Like, and I even come back, I remember once something that Harlan has always stuck with me is that the goal is to have sanity around food. And I was like, it's insane that I can't be at the apple orchard with my family and have an apple as for picking. I mean, that's insane, right? That's insane. And then my next thought was, well, I guess it, following that rationale, you could say it's insane that I can't have a piece of cake at a wedding. Like, that's insane. And, you know, like, it's those subtle things that can really derail us with the mental twist and make us think that things are okay when they're not okay. Make us latch on to one thing that maybe we read in the big book that could be interpreted a different way that would justify or excuse our behavior. And, you know, only in a state of recovery when we're connected with our HP do we have a channel to hit to him that sends us the saner message and keeps us from from going down the path that our mental twist is constantly trying to take us on. So um, thanks for the test. Thank you, Virginia C. And Larry K., please go ahead. Kathy, thanks so much. I'm just going to make a quick second here from Leah because I always like what she has to say. Um, you know, the, the only thing I'll say with the strange mental twist is, and, and, and what we see and we read in these paragraphs is I'm reminded of just how deadly and tragic this disease, you know, is. It, it's been said that, you know, one death, well, that's a tragedy. You know, a million, a million deaths, that's a statistic. Statistics stay silent in us, you know. And, I mean, case in point, many of us know at least one person who has died or is dying of this disease. 
and that person has a face and a family and a personal narrative that we can relate to. Yet, you know, if you look around your cities and our communities, you know, people are dropping like flies. And the statistics tell us that more than two-thirds of adults are, are obese. You know, this, there, there's an obesity epidemic. And, it, and if it was just sort of physical packaging, you know, that, that wouldn't be so bad. But it's killing people. People are dying. And the CDC, you know, they, they don't, you know, list obesity as a cause of death. Instead, it lists heart disease and uh, that kills about 600,000 people a year and various cancers and diabetes and all these things. And, you know, um, I think sometimes we soft pedal the dangers of obesity. So this, this has a, this is much, this is a really widespread issue. And it's, um, you know, it's not like just some little kind of deal here where, you know, we have the strange mental twist and you no know, people are dying. And you know somebody that's died of this disease, but it wasn't on their death certificate. So anyways, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And Leah M., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. There was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. You know, we're rereading a little bit of the history we have Bill W. and Dr. Bob sitting by the bedside of Bill Dodson, Bill D., Alcoholic Anonymous number three. You can read the story in the back of the book. And during the first six months of 1935, Bill D., an intelligent uh, lawyer, was hospitalized eight times. You know, thrown into the hospital, uh, dried out, <laughs> detoxed, and then released. And oftentimes he didn't make it home uh, before he would drink again. So there was much talk because obviously when he left the hospital, he was sober. He was sober. You see, we don't understand the illness. The most dangerous part of the illness is when we are stone cold sober, is when we are abstinent. Why is that? Because we're thinking about drinking. We're thinking about that first bite. You know, everybody focuses on the problems that compulsive overeating causes, right? The weight gain, the high cholesterol, cholesterol, the blood pressure, diabetes. But that doesn't help you understand compulsive overeating at all. Because the real problem is, even after all the damage that compulsive overeating causes, even after the illness is explained in great detail, even if the as the consequences are explained in excruciating detail, we still go up, out and pick up that first bite. And it occurs when we're abstinent. For the alcoholic, it occurs when he is stone cold sober. And that's the insanity that the big book is talking about. That's what powerless means. It's a situation where we have no defense against that first bite. You know, and I can relate to that. You know, I can relate to that. I go to bed crying real tears. I'm going to change. I'm never going to binge again. I would make those promises. And then a week later or a month later or even hours later, I would say, I don't want to live that way anymore. And yet I'd be compelled to pick up those same foods that were killing me. And I'm not stupid. I'm fairly bright. I have a fairly decent memory. 
but you know, binge foods have been have burned me over and over again. But for some strange reason, left to my own devices and resources, I cannot remember what compulsive overeating does to me. All I can think about is what it's going to do for me. And until I understood the grave nature of my illness, I didn't get it. Step one is the realization that I'm doomed. And I'm doomed not because of the allergy of the body, although that is very important. I'm wrapping up here. But I'm doomed because of the mind, my mental obsession. And until I understood and realized that the only solution that will ever work for someone like me is something that drives out, gets rid of the mental obsession, I did not understand the urgency and the necessity for these 12 steps and to continue to live and implement steps 10, 11, and 12. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leah M. Uh, We're not going to move on today. We only have time for one more share. Is there anyone who would like to share? Okay, I'll take a turn then. This is Kathy Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, it was many, many years that I did not really internalize the seriousness of the mental twist before I take the first bite. And I minimized the seriousness of that first bite. And I was able to do that. I was able to live in that dishonesty because I did not have a huge amount of extra weight on my body. Yet I did have regular misery and fear and depression and um, my relationships suffered. I experienced all the bedevilments on page 52. Um, But I did not until I really studied the big book and listened to people share as we're doing today that I came to finally understand and appreciate the seriousness of this disease of compulsive overeating and how it's not it's not just the weight gain, it's the mental twist that leads to that first bite. Um, I don't know why it took me so long to really get that, but I know it had a lot to do with reading the big book and discussing the big book and listening to others share about their experiences that finally I was able to break through that denial and get to a place of acceptance. And for that, I'm very grateful. Okay, um, I guess we'll close the meeting now. Thank you, everyone, who has shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Maureen M., can you read on page 164 a vision for you? Sure, no problem. Thank you. Um, I'm Maureen M., um, recovered compulsive eater from New York and <clears throat> grateful to be here. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you can't transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with God him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. Please. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.